This is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. Southern Songs and Stories is a part of the Osiris family. Osiris connects you with podcasts, videos, and live experiences about the artists and topics you love. Visit OsirisPod.com and sign up for the newsletter so you won't miss new interviews, events, and podcasts. The newest addition to the Osiris Network is Rock and Roll Archaeology, which is a documentary series on classic rock done chronologically, with the most recent episode residing in San Francisco in the fall of 1967. Think about where you're at, the actual place you call home, the region where you're from. Can you put into words what effect that place has on what you do and how you think? Most of the time, perhaps even a lifetime, this is a question that we don't dwell on or maybe even ever come to. But the place where you're from, especially where you grew up, is always there in whatever you do, even if you don't realize it. It is where you got your accent. It colors your worldview. It has a great bearing on what jobs you get and what friends you have. Place is also a primary factor for music. Think about the styles and sounds that are inseparable from their city or region. We touched on this in our episode on Mac Arnold with conversations pointing out how blues music from the Piedmont of South Carolina was far different from the Mississippi Delta, for example. You could go on and on. Soul from Detroit versus soul from Philadelphia versus soul from Memphis. Bluegrass from the Appalachians versus bluegrass from the Front Range in Colorado. Jazz from New Orleans versus jazz from New York City. This episode of Southern Songs and Stories, we feature singer-songwriters Marshall Chapman, Lisa Stubbs, and Neil Brooks, with some thoughts on this corner of South Carolina as its own character in the narrative. You'll also hear from Peter Cooper, who has a new album out with longtime collaborator Eric Brace and Tom Utes. You'll get music from all of these artists and more, and we already featured one of their songs at the top of the show, a new cover of Led Zeppelin by Lisa Stubbs and Neil Brooks, who perform as the duo Morning Dove. Marshall Chapman wrote hits for her own dozen-plus LPs and for other artists, and she moved away from South Carolina to Nashville in the late 1960s when going to college at Vanderbilt and has been in movies more than on albums for the better part of the last decade. Marshall and Morning Dove don't know each other. They were born in different eras and have very different backgrounds, but they are from the same place which Graham Parsons sing about in this song by the birds. I remember 
know, there's a song that Graham Parsons wrote, and I don't know, you know, he lived in Greenville for a while, and I think it was either while he was living in Greenville, maybe he wrote it looking back on Greenville, but every time I hear that song, and I'm getting emotional right now, talking, just talking about it, it starts off, you know, it's just such a beautiful melody. In South Carolina, you know, there's many a tall pine. And I remember the oak trees that we used to climb. It's called Hickory Wind. Do you know that song? Oh, yeah. That song to me just, when I think about, you know, we used to just run barefoot all over the place, you know, before everybody lived in gated communities and all that. Our neighborhood was wide open and we all ran like a pack of wild dogs and nobody had fences and nobody locked their doors. And and I just remember, I, I always liked to be in the woods in South Carolina. And I remember that sound when the wind would blow and it whistles through those pine needles and the pine needles almost act like the reeds of a flute. And it makes that whistling sound that I don't hear in Tennessee. You know, the wind's blowing here today and I, I you know, it's a sound I only hear when I go home. And when I hear it, I want to weep because to me it's home. And when I hear that song and Graham Parsons' voice singing it and the steel guitar playing it, I get that same feeling. I just get a big lump in my throat because it it just, that song epitomizes the Piedmont to me, those rolling hills, that red clay, those pine trees everywhere and, and the sound that the wind makes blowing through those trees. That's Marshall Chapman talking with me from her Nashville home. I mentioned a few of the differences between our guests, but there are many more similarities on display once you start talking with them. Both Lisa Stubbs and Marshall Chapman were far down their musical paths as teenagers and have a tenacity that is one of the many necessary skills you have to possess in abundance to make it in this business. Here's Lisa Stubbs. I've been singing pretty much my whole life since I guess I knew how to like make sounds <laughs> and I um, always wanted to play music I you know I, I played guitar and sang and like I played guitar um, when I was younger too and on and off with the lessons um, <laughs> and I, I always wanted to be a mu- musician somehow a performer yeah it just it's not really something I fell into it was something I was always aspiring to do siblings I do have uh, one older sister Laura um, she's a elementary music teacher up around D.C. now. She She's actually the reason I quit piano and ballet <laughs> and a lot of other things. No, it's just because uh, she was my sister, so it was easier for my mom to do, like, oh, well, you'll both you all both will take piano lessons or you'll both do ballet and when I was young, I couldn't quite grasp the concept that she was better than me because she was older, so I was always like confused like why can't I do this as good as Laura and I got frustrated and I and I quit those things and that's when I was like mom I think I was like in second grade I was like mom I want to take guitar lessons Laura's not allowed to play guitar don't let her take guitar lessons this is my thing in the book Hub City Music Makers Peter Cooper devotes a chapter to Marshall Chapman and outlines a similar plot line from her youth although her family did not encourage her musical path as much as they tolerated it thinking it was a passing phase of her teenage years. I grew up in a place not all that far from upstate South Carolina, intently listening to radio stations, different than likely all the stations that our guests listened to, in an era in between Marshall and Lisa, but not that much different, really. The radio they all described gives off a feeling of close familiarity to me. When Marshall came of age, AM was it. You could tune in on a sometimes fuzz-ridden, squawking transistor radio to hear local stations during the day and pull in powerhouse signals from other states at night. Okay, raise your hand if you've ever listened to AM radio. And I have. Getting ready for school, I would start the day with Murphy in the Morning on Charlotte Station WAYS, Big Ways. Playing Toto's Rosanna, Asia's Heat of the Moment, like every morning for months on, it seemed. From early on, I was infatuated with radio. I had driveway moments that are memorable because they were always cut short once Dad killed the engine. And remember my favorite songs starting at age five. FM entered adolescence about the time that I did. The Telecommunications Act of 1996 and massive consolidations were nowhere in sight. But the often mythical free-flying DJs playing what they felt like and spinning Stairway to Heaven so they could go out for a smoke were fading quickly in the rear view. 
at least the playing what they felt like part. For Marshall Chapman, local radio offered plenty of great music on the AM dial. For both members of Morning Dove, not so much. I listened to this radio station that our black cook listened to in the basement when she was down there ironing. This would have been like about 1959 or 60, you know, because I used to go down there and she'd be listening to Big Joe Turner and all these, you know, black acts that were the precursors to Elvis Presley, even though it was after Elvis had exploded on the scene, but she was listening. She loved Sam Cooke and people like that. So, um, you know, and then we could get that station out of Nashville at night that was starting to play black music, you know, um, WLAC. We could pick that up. And then WSPA had, I think they had a recording studio. I've always heard, and I could be wrong, and you, you'll want to check that too, but I always heard that's where boom, 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 stay. Uh, you know, Morris Williams and the Zodiac. Morris Williams, still alive, by the way, was born in Anderson, South, not Anderson, um, like Lancaster, South Carolina. And I've always heard he recorded, um, he recorded that version of Stay that was like the number one song in America at WSPA Studios in Spartanburg. I'd love to know if that's true. I was not a huge fan of the radio. I mostly listened to the music my parents listened to, and <laughs> it's funny. It doesn't really point in the direction I ended up going. My my mom's, I think her favorite van, band is like Van Halen or something, and my dad listened to a lot of like, you know, 60s and 70s rock and like prog stuff. Um, listened to a lot of Led Zeppelin, which is probably my favorite thing he introduced me to, and Pink Floyd and stuff like that. No, I was never, I mean, I listened to the radio with my friends and stuff, but I was never super into it. I always felt a little left out of the, out of hearing anything that really influenced me. I felt, I wasn't really sure if there was a spot for the kind of ideas I was having. Uh, radio for me growing up, I grew up in the 80s, and um, basically around the area that I grew up in, we either had like a classic rock station, even though I'm not sure they called it classic rock back then, it was just rock and roll. Um, and a top 40 station and NPR. That was basically all we had to listen to growing up. So I didn't spend a lot of time listening to the radio, actually. My dad had a pretty good collection of records. So I listened to a lot of his records, which were Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Allman Brothers. There was a lot of uh, harmony stuff, like um, like Crosby, Stills, and Nash, or uh, Simon and Garfunkel. So I listened to a lot of records instead of radio, mostly. But when I did turn on the radio, it was usually just, you know, rock and roll, classic rock kind of stuff. Not a lot of independent stuff in the 80s that I remember. Did you go off to college and discover any other radio along the oh, way? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first college I went to was Clemson, and they had a, was a station down there. I think it's Wisbeth, where they had, like, a, you know, a student run. So basically, it was a free-for-all. And uh, I listened to that station all the time when I was in college um, in Clemson. I was only there for like a year, year and a half. And then I took off and did other things. Um, Went and studied in New York and a couple other places. But I always tried to find radio stations like that. Because in Clemson, Clemson's actually pretty close to Athens. And so there was a lot of influence between that Athens had on the Clemson radio crowd. So I learned a lot of, uh, I learned a lot about music that I didn't know existed. How much of that might have had a major influence on your music, or can you also go on and talk about how the music culture from the upstate of South Carolina, right around where you grew up, has had an influence on you? Probably that radio station had a a pretty heavy influence on on what I still do today, actually. Um, I think the first time I ever heard Graham Parsons was on a show on that radio station and it kind of knocked me sideways. I didn't know anything like that existed. And I think they were just playing like the birds with Graham Parsons. And I just thought, what is this? This is like rock and roll with some sort of country thing. And so I got pretty heavy into uh, Graham Parsons through that. And then started listening to music that was from the upstate. I know Graham, I, I think Graham lived in Greenville for a little while. So I got heavy into the local, uh, I guess you would call it local or regional artists like uh, Reverend Gary Davis. Some of the artists that we don't hear about, you know, uh, too much, but have influenced a lot of 
writers and players. Uh, Pink Anderson, gosh, there's so many uh, blues guys that came from around here. Even Nina Simone, you know, um, I got heavy into into those those kind of players. Um, Elizabeth Cotton, the finger style player from North Carolina, heavily influenced everything I do. And I wouldn't have found that without the um, those independent radio stations that I was listening to back then as well. So kind of cool. That's Vertigo from Morning Dove from their new EP, following Neil Brooks, Lisa, and Marshall. You can find copies of this three-song release on their Bandcamp, and that's Morning Dove spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. I'll also link to it from our website at southernsongsandstories.com. You can also hear Morning Dove on an earlier episode from my podcasts on the Albino Skunk Music Festival, where we highlighted some of their live performance on the third episode in that series from spring of 2017. Coming up, some of Marshall Chapman's music, as well as Peter Cooper, and much more here on Southern Songs and Stories. Hi, this is John Stickley, and you're listening to Southern Songs and Stories, where you can enjoy my band, the John Stickley Trio, on our podcast and on our video in this series, documenting the music of the South and the artists who make it. Southern Songs and Stories is available on podcast platforms everywhere and at southernsongsandstories.com. Would you take a moment and leave a hopefully good rating of this podcast and leave a comment? That is one of the quickest ways you can help us reach more fans just like you. Thanks for listening and for your support. Have you ever gotten to a new place or a place you are rediscovering and wind up with time on your hands, which led to a longer stay? Well, in a way, that's what I'm doing with this episode of the podcast. In our last episode on Mac Arnold, you heard from Peter Cooper, who serves as senior director, producer, and writer at the Country Music Hall of Fame and Museum, and is author of the book Hub City Music Makers, which includes a history of early to mid-20th century blues artists like Pink Anderson and Peg Leg Sam. He also has some observations about local radio 
and how the music scene and our media have evolved. It was so much harder to spread the music around back then, and, and the good thing was if you if you got a record deal, uh, there were fewer people with those, and, and you were more likely to have that heard. It was kind of like you know there were three TV channels instead of sixty thousand. Oftentimes, if somebody wasn't in the room where you were playing or on the street corner where you were playing, they couldn't hear what you were doing. Nowadays, you can just you know, set up a GoPro or whatever and, and uh, broadcast it to the world instantaneously. Uh, and anybody with any intellectual curiosity about music, they've got the entirety of recorded popular music at, at their fingertips. Uh, and then with the internet, they've got more than the recorded popular music. They've got all this stuff that's going on. Uh, and you can be worldwide uh, in a moment. Uh, so this is a, a good thing in a lot of ways, but it's not necessarily helpful to regional music. Uh, all great American musical art forms have started locally and grown regionally, and then hopefully uh, earn national and, and international audiences. Uh, but there was a Piedmont blues sound, uh, you know, and you can take that all the way up to the beginnings of hip-hop, you know. There was a sound in this area. Uh, then you, you go down to the blues in Mississippi and jazz in New Orleans. Um, these people, when they could be around each other, they could they could influence each other and um, develop a thing. Uh, everything now is so scattered. Uh, it's much more difficult to do that. So the, the great thing is that a, a six-year-old can go on his computer and see what the Grand Canyon looks like from his uh, living room in Shiraz. But the rough thing is that we're often not in the moment with people in a room playing music in, in real time. There's a whole lot of shaking That's some of the song Uneasy Does It from the new record Riverland, a concept album about the state of Mississippi and one of Peter Cooper's compositions for that trio of Eric Brace, Peter Cooper, and Tom Utes. Following some of my conversation with Peter, who includes a chapter on Marshall Chapman in his book about great artists from Spartanburg in the 20th century, here is Marshall live from the Tennessee State Prison for Women, on October 29, 1993, and a song she wrote and recorded, which also became a number one hit for Sawyer Brown and some of Betty's Being Bad. Bye. 
She was talking jive till he saw her standing with a 45. 45's quicker than 409. Betty cleaned the house for the very last time. Betty's been bad. Betty's been bad. How bad? Bad, bad, bad. She's out being bad. Betty's out being bad tonight. Betty and her boyfriend had the big fight. Unless you are ready, you are ready to rock, ready to roll. To hell freezes over and you catch a cold. Betty's not mad, she's just getting even. Betty's being bad, that's her way of leaving. Betty's being bad. Betty's being bad. Y'all help me. How bad? Bad, bad, bad. She's out being bad. could Southern culture not influence my music? It's impossible because I'm a woman of the South, period. I was born and raised in Spartanburg, South Carolina. You know, I may have gone to Nashville, but South Carolina, how, how could that not influence my music? So for me to say, how has Southern culture reflected itself in my music? I don't know how to answer that. My music is that. I used to try to give a name for my music, and it, it was impossible because I, I always loved lyrics and being able to hear lyrics. And I grew up going to the beach um, where those pavilions, before they burned them down because of integration, you know, mm-hmm. all the people in the audience would be white and the bands would be black, and usually the drifters would be playing. And I just remember you could understand the lyrics. And lyrics were always really important to the music that I made. The thing that cracked me up about South Carolina, that was early 60s, is when I left and was out in Nashville in the 70s and, and started writing songs in the mid-70s, because I, I didn't start writing songs until I was in my mid-20s. I was kind of a late bloomer in that department. But when I started writing lyrics, I'm thinking about that music I heard on those jukeboxes at the Pauly's Island Pavilion and at, at, and, and at that place in Myrtle Beach. But anyway, what cracks me up is I went back down to those places with my bands and would be playing along the coast. And we'd drop into to some of the places that were left and there'd be an old jukebox. And 15 years later, it's still the drifters on the boardwalk and Morris Williams and the Zodiac stay. And all that, you know, they hadn't updated any of those jukebox people in South Carolina. They're still shagging, you know, they call that music beach music, you know. In fact, for a while, I was trying to come up with the name of my music, and I called it Beach Punk. You know, that was another name, Beach Punk. I mean, Doc Pomus' Save the Last Dance for me. Those are beautiful songs. And lyrics were always really important to my music. And, And I think I got that. I was just lucky to grow up when I when I did because you know when you listen, I have a feeling a lot of rap is real interesting and that's probably what rock and roll is today because it's whatever's pissing off people's parents is rock and roll. The culture that I grew up with in the South um, was kind of odd. I grew up Catholic in the South, which is kind of uh, not normal. <laughs> um, I was surrounded by mostly Baptists growing up, and I think some of that darker underbelly of the growing up Catholic in the South, kind of like Eudora Wealthy or something, comes through in what I do. There's a, I don't mean for it to, it's just kind of an, a darkness there that is unresolved just from growing up in that area. I didn't really participate much in like what you would normally think of as Southern kind of things like, I don't know, like horse races or things like that. I don't, I don't know much about them. 
what I know about them is from just reading about them, I guess. But uh, growing up, and usually my dad worked at a textile mill, and uh, mom was an artist. And so I think most of the time, anything that was Southern that influenced me either came from the mill, you know, going to dinners with, there was like workers' dinners that we would go to that were like hang out with softball teams and stuff like that. They would have like a mill softball team. I remember doing that on Saturdays and stuff, but that's about it. I mean, I mentioned it earlier. I've always felt a little bit like a black sheep in Greenville, but... I will say that's changing the older I get. I when I was when I was a lot younger, I felt a little out of place. I was I mean at times I was a little like, man, I hate that I'm from South Carolina. Like, oh, it'd be so much cooler to be from the big city, but like I'm growing to appreciate it more. It's quiet. There's beautiful places to go so close by. You get to the mountains or a lake or the beach pretty easy. Um, but I would say probably just I mean, I <laughs> I feel bad. I'm not a huge into like a lot of the Appalachian um, music. I'm slowly discovering it, and I mean, uh, some bands like Gilly Welch and stuff have definitely become a big influence for me. But as far as like living here, like and it's pretty uh, prevalent on the EP and on our older stuff. I write a lot about like nature and make metaphors to that. And I think just having the ability to like be outside so much and be out and all these beautiful landscapes is kind of what I'm really grateful that I had and has influenced me a lot. College was great because I got to move into um, the music dorms. So it was, you know, a lot of classical orchestra kids and stuff. I was one of the only, not the only vocalists, but not many. And, oh, that was that was so nice to finally be around people that I could nerd about classical music with. But even, even like, in high school and stuff, like, I, I felt a little bit like an outcast and I had you know I had a decent little group of friends but they still weren't quite into the same things I was into there but thankfully by the time I was in like late middle school early high school the internet kind of saved my life like access to all these different kinds of music and I got super into like finding music blogs online that's actually how I uh, discovered Nick Drake um and he's a huge influence for me it just but yeah like that changed everything for me and made me you know realize like oh there are sounds out here that I like more than what I've heard around here and I think gave me a little hope that I was like I can do this like I can I can I can make music more like this this suits me Summer was gone when the heat died down And autumn reached for her golden crown I looked behind as I heard a sigh But this was the time of no reply The sun went down and the crowd went home I was left by the roadside all alone I turned to speak as they went by but this was the time of no reply The time of no reply Is calling me to stay There's no hello and no goodbye Choose to love 
That was Morning Dove with Regret is a River, following a touch of the Nick Drake song Time of No Reply, and conversations with Lisa, Neil, and Marshall. The Morning Dove song was recorded live recently at Neil's home studio and will be on their forthcoming album. The music business for Chapman in the mid-70s, when she was getting her start, and the music business in the past decade, when Lisa Stubbs got going, is really like two separate businesses. Sure, they do and did the same thing, essentially, put out records and now digital downloads, and pay the artists with varying degrees of success. The basics are the same, but the mechanism, the pipeline, practically every facet of music publishing has changed drastically. It isn't easy to be a full-time musician or artist of any kind, and it never was. The Internet saved Lisa Stubbs from having to be stuck with just record collections and radio stations she didn't really like, but it also served to oversupply the market and to value what music was worth. The Internet's changed everything. I mean, I love the democracy of the Internet. It's like a double-edged sword. Anybody can make a CD and put it out. The other side of that sword is anybody can make a CD and put it out, which means a lot of crap gets put out. And and I've heard, like, when I, when I put out my last two CDs, they say, make sure you take your shrink wrap out before you mail it out to radio, or they won't even listen to it or open it, you know. They won't take the trouble because they're deluged with so many CDs. If you hadn't taken the shrink wrap, you hear what I'm saying? Shrink wrap off. They're not even going to open it and listen to it. And I think they get jaded, too, because there's so much bad stuff out there. But at the same time, when I think about the experiences I've had with record labels on all levels, from CBS, which is now Sony ATV, you know, Rounder, I think it's great that artists could be in control of their music. You know, I think I put out a CD called Dirty Linen, which may have been the first do-it-yourself DIY release in Nashville. It was a cassette, and then shortly thereafter, we put it out on CD came out in 1987. Now everybody does that. You know, but it used to be a big mystery to get signed to a record label and you're putting out an album and there's only four pressing plants in the United States and they're pressing your album up. That's not something anybody knows how to do in their basement. You know what I mean? The music scene is always, I think it's always ebbing and flowing for some reason. Uh, I started playing live, gosh, in the 90s. And one thing I've noticed is that, uh, in, especially in the upstate of South Carolina, the pay is about the same as it was in the 90s or less, which is bizarre to me. You know, if you got a gig in the 90s, you might get $350 for a three-hour gig. Um, and now you might get 150 for a three-hour gig. It's bizarre. I don't understand it. But I will say that the community for the um, musicians in the area is much better I think, now than it was. Neil Brooks there with some observations about what gig money is like in town, which may or may not have a direct correlation to the Internet making everyone think music should be free. Of course, as Marshall noted before him, previous regimes in the music biz were not exactly filled with empathy either. Nowadays, music artists are going the crowdfunding route to make records, like Morning Dove will do this year to afford their next full album. Instead of hoping that the big boys would advance you large sums of money, which would afford the lavish production costs of putting your songs on disc, sums which would have been paid off with interest from your record sales, now you hope that there are enough people in your network that will chip in the equivalent value of, say, a nice used car when you pass the hat online. Making music for a living exclusively is far different today than it was when labels were king. Sure, there are still labels, and many artists make good money from record sales, especially when they have their own publishing rights, but physical products make up only a quarter or so of the overall pie, and getting your songs in a curator's playlist on Spotify, which will get many thousands of plays, is often the way to get to the land of milk and honey nowadays. Or at least it's the pathway to the land of affording a Sprinter van and health insurance, which is often today's version of making it. Creating music today means that you have to be good at other things which will pay your bills. Sometimes, like Marshall Chapman discovered, these skills can pay off in unforeseen ways. And I've been, I don't know if you know it, but I've, I've been acting. That's been my main thing in the last five years is 
I've, I've been doing some movies. I don't know if you know that or not. I did not know that. But that's tell, been fun. Tell me more. What What have you been in? And, well, I got I got a Facebook message one time that said they're looking for you to read for this movie they're doing filming in Nashville. This was in 2010. So I went and read for it in some warehouse, and uh, and they kept calling me back. I, I did it kind of as a joke, thinking, well, this would be, I, you know, I've got a monthly column I write for this magazine out here. Well, at least I did for about nine years, and it recently folded. But um, anyway, I thought, well, this would be a good fodder for article to write, you know, me going and reading for a movie. Ha, ha, ha. Well, the joke was on me. I got the part. So I played Gwyneth Paltrow's road manager in Country Strong. I don't know if you heard of that movie, but it was it was pretty well known, and the music was pretty good. Tim McGraw was in it. You know, I had some speaking roles, but it, but I'm I'm on screen a lot. And then as a result of that movie, I got asked to read for a movie um, where I played Ryan Reynolds. Do you know him? I He's think like so. A movie star. Mm-hmm. I yep. never heard of him either, but of course my nieces knew who he was. He was on the cover of People magazine. They called him the sexiest man in the world. And, of course, naturally, I would play his mother, right? So um, <laughs> I'm trying to make you laugh. Um, anyway, I read, I read for that movie, and I got the part, and I got to go to New Orleans and film it. And I'm really proud. That one's called Check It Out because the music, the soundtrack's great. And I'm on the – dig this. I'm on the soundtrack. It's called Mississippi Grind, okay? And it was a really good movie. And it's got Ben Mendelsohn. It's kind of a, a dude's road movie. These two guys that are gambling addicts, they meet in some gambling house up in the Midwest, and they they go through the American South and end up in New Orleans. But the the soundtrack's incredible. I actually wrote a song because they, they, there's, there's the first scene in the movie is a double rainbow out on this interstate somewhere in Iowa. And so this rainbow theme keeps coming back. So they wanted me to write a song with rainbow in it. So I wrote a song in I thought it was a really good song. And and then they changed their mind and they said, well, it has to be a song that she sung to him when, you know, they, he was little. So it needs to be a song that was known. So here are your choices. So they gave me the choice to pick out, you know, all these different songs that have rainbow in, in the title. And of course, I chose the one that was written by Dan Penn and Donnie Fritz because they're buddies of mine. And it was called Rainbow Road. You know that song? It's a great song that came out of Muscle Shoals. Arthur Alexander had the hit on it. I think you know I, it? I think I do. It's a, it's a beautiful. Well, it's a it's a great scene, and I and yeah. So I I recorded that, and it's on the it's on the soundtrack for the movie. But I've got a scene at the very toward the end of the movie when they get to New Orleans that that really, it's like when I was doing the scene, I had this aha moment, like what acting was all about. When I was doing this scene, like I'm sitting there at a bar smoking a cigarette, and I hate cigarettes, but you wouldn't know it if you saw this scene. And I'm sitting next to Ryan Reynolds, my estranged son, the character, and it just hit me what this acting thing was all about. Oh, thanks, Pete. Cheers. Cheers. You got my smokes? Great. Thanks, darling. Happy birthday, Mom. You're a little late, aren't you? It's a day or two. Where you been hiding, darling? Not hiding. Just traveling. Travelers have a destination. The journey. Yes. The journey is Our the destination. destination. I think I know where you heard that. Anyway, it's good to see you. You bring me anything? Well, I didn't have time to stop. Yeah. I know the feeling. You came alone? All by my lonesome. Mm-hmm. You should find somebody, baby. Man alone's half a man. I think I'm doing all right. Sure you are. Listen, this year's been unkind to your mama. (laughs) That's a good tune. 
I gotta get back to work. Why don't you stick around for the next set and I'll buy you a drink. All right? Pete, take this for me. Life's a long grind, ain't it? All right, this one's for my little boy over there. In our episode on Jim Lauderdale, I listed some music artists who crossed over to acting and actors who made a go as a musician. Since Jim had formal training on stage and was fairly steady with acting for a time when he was young, add Marshall Chapman to that list. And on the other side of the ledger, add Dennis Quaid, who just put out a record. We're almost to the close of our show. This is Joe Kendrick saying thanks for listening, and I encourage you to spread the word about this independent project. Consider helping by subscribing, rating, and commenting on the show where you get your podcasts, and by becoming a patron. You can find out more at southernsongsandstories.com and at patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories, and you can keep up with us on our Facebook page, on Twitter, at South Scenes, and Instagram, at South Stories. Drop me an email. I'll be glad to correspond with you at southernsongsandstories at gmail.com. Plus, our podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms. You can find out more about Morning Dove on their website, and that's morningdovemusic.com, and you can find out more about Marshall Chapman at tallgirl.com. Although, as she says, I tell everybody I'm retired, but I could be lying. Also, you can check out Peter Cooper's music at petercoopermusic.com. This is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com.